And I really do believe, though, that God's given me a word to give you. Messages are meals. And you need meals to sustain yourself in what God has called you to do. And there are meals that we have to eat to sustain revival. Sometimes it's a hard meal that we're going to talk about. But it's a meal worth eating. And it's the meal of authority. Authority is a fruit of revival. And if we know how to steward it, if we know how to understand it, and listen, you have revival in the soil of your culture. Revival. The presence of God is in the soil of who you are. And as you water it, you will eat from its fruit. This is going to happen and happen and happen. You're going to take it with you to your work. You're going to take it with you to Target or Walmart. You're going to take it with you to the grocery store. Man. Woo. Praise the Lord. So let's eat this meal. You ready? All right. Listen, we, we did have a great day yesterday. Um, we talked about mental health and how mental health is, helps the next generation. Um, and I want to give you a bit of a recap really quickly. And the, one of the recaps is that perspective is powerful. Perspective is powerful. When we focus on what is wrong, our brains rehearse the wrong. So let me, let me explain. If, if I say, I'll never do that, I'll never yell at my kids, I'll never lie, I'll never talk about people, what happens is our brains pick up on the content of the statement, not the quality of the statement, not the positive or negative aspects of the statement, but the very core of the content. So the brain's not picking up on, I'll never, the brain's picking up on lie, 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 yell, 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 and then we get surprised years later when we lie, when we talk about people, when we yell at our kids, and it's like, well, I said I'd never do this, but your brain didn't know that. All your brain heard was lie, yell, and your brain rehearses and rehearses and rehearses, and eventually it's manifested in our behaviors. What we want to do is switch from the I'll never to I will. I will speak life. I will connect with others and the Lord. I will love my kids. And that's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 4 when he says whatever's lovely, whatever's pure, whatever's true, think on these things. He's not saying we're going to ignore the struggle. He's saying we're going to switch our perspective in a way that gives life and fosters authority. And it's critical for how we foster um, holistic self-care. And we're going to talk about why that's important. But really, what I want to talk about today is the power of authority and why it's important to foster well-being. And hopefully we'll see why authority is the fruit of revival and what we're going to talk about today actually helps us maintain it long term. It's not just stuck in a moment of time. We rejoice that God's doing something in a moment, but we take that and move it across time. How do we do that? We're going to talk about it. 
So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily going to, to preach from a point today. I'm going to teach towards one. I'm not going to preach from a few points. I'm going to teach you towards a point. And let me tell you what they are. We're going to talk about the fact that we all have parts. And we're going to talk about that all of those parts are connected to the whole of who we are. And then we're going to talk about how authority leverages and helps us steward the whole of who we are to see the will of God accomplished in us and through us in the earth. So we're going to go on a journey. You, you ready? Let's pray. Lord, there's, I just, you just keep coming. You keep coming. And as we lean in to eat this meal, I pray that it is not a distraction from what just happened, but it supports what just happened. And that we can continue to live in the place of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I love rockets. Um, uh, in fact, somebody from yesterday, uh, earlier, not yesterday, today was telling me that uh, the thing about rockets is once they get into the air, the oxidizer, the pumps, they all go bad. But you need those to get you into the atmosphere. And it's like as soon as we are launched into space, we realize we can't do this on our own, and the Lord takes over. And so that was a great, I don't remember his name, but props to whoever said that in the last service to me. But the rocket's com com composed of several different parts that make a functional whole. Just if you take a look at it, it's got the, the payload system, the guidance system. Lord knows you need the Holy Spirit for guidance. If that's off, we just got a rocket firing off and misdirected. You got all of these things go together to make up this rocket. And if any part of the rocket malfunctions, the integrity of the rocket. Another word for integrity is wholeness. Wholeness and integrity are synonyms. It's compromised. If a part's malfunctioning, the integrity of the rocket is compromised. We don't reinvent the rocket to not have a part that's broken. We just get a new healthy functioning part the way it's supposed to work, and we roll. So like a rocket, we actually all have different parts, particularly in our souls. And all of those parts contribute to who we are. Some of those parts are identity parts. I'm a husband. I'm a dad, I'm a friend, and all of those parts have their own unique experiences. I led song worship for years. I'm a, I'm a psychologist. Every one of these different parts of who I am have their own unique experiences, and sometimes those parts are healthy, and sometimes those parts aren't. It's why some people can be amazing parents, terrible spouses. And you wonder, why aren't they being sanctified? It's because the part of them is doing well, but a part's not. A part believes that I'm going to pour life into my kids, but another part of me believes spouses can't be trusted because all I've ever seen in my life is broken marriages. So we've got these different parts, and sometimes I have parts that try to protect me from the experiences that I don't want. Rejection, shame, fear, fill in the blank. And these protector parts often try to shove or repress or deny the parts of us that we don't like. 
But that creates a tension in us. Because if I've got a part on this side of me that feels shame and rejection, and I don't like this part about me, and I've got another part over here that says I don't like you, and I try to shove that part as far away as I possibly can, what am I doing? I'm creating tension in my life. Emotional health and maturity, healthy spirituality is not shoving the pain away, it's bringing it in where both parts come together. We invite the power of the Holy Spirit in and we help those parts heal. We decrease the tension between those parts. It's not about shoving that stuff away, it's about bringing those parts in in a way where we invite God in and he does something in us to transform us. Consider Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, Abraham had a part that acknowledged his age and Sarah's barrenness. Now think about that for just a moment. The physical reality of his body and his wife's body flew in the face of the promise of God for generations, for children. The very promise of God hit the wall of his physicality, and, and Abraham didn't ignore it. He acknowledged the reality of it. But he had another part. And that part came out of the core of who he was. That part was faith. It was rooted in his identity. And the scriptures say, against hope, with hope, he believed. And it was credited to him as righteous. And that's why he's the father of our faith. Abraham wrestled with these different parts of who he was. And it's important to note that there is a big difference between acknowledging reality and acknowledging a struggle and agreeing with it. Sometimes we think, if I've got a part of me I don't like, and I say it out loud, then I'm agreeing with it, I'm giving it power. That's not true at all. If we aren't aware of what's going on, acknowledge what's going on, if we don't confess with our mouths about what's going on, how do, how do we give to God what we deny is there? No, the gospel says, no, I say it out loud. Confession isn't just a spiritual tool, it's a psychological one. Because if I confess what's going on, I'm fostering awareness. And if I'm fostering an awareness, I acknowledge that that's a reality, but I can look to God and go, God, what's your perspective on this? Help me understand all of these different parts of who I am, all of what's going on in me, help me understand. And every single part needs to move together, move towards health, and move towards integration in Christ Jesus. I believe this is what sanctification looks like psychologically. God saves us, but we're in this process of being saved, and he's working on all of these different parts of who we are. And spiritually, we bring every part of us to Jesus. Even the part, especially the parts we don't like. Every part gets to come. That's the invitation. Every part healed, healthy, and integrated to accomplish what God wants in it. This integration of parts, particularly in the soul, exists within a larger context of wholeness. So we've got these parts in our soul, and then those parts exist in this bigger context of wholeness. And we see wholeness all throughout the scriptures. There's assumptions about this, statements about it all throughout the scriptures. Let's go to one familiar passage in Romans 12. I'm going to read this to you, and then I want to point out some of Paul's assumptions. Romans 12. One and two, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed 
to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, when Paul says, therefore I urge you, what he's saying is you have a will. God will show up. God will equip through the scriptures. God will empower by his Holy Spirit. But we have a will, and we have to choose to participate in that. The will is a part of the soul. And Paul's saying, therefore, you, brothers and sisters, he identifies them. Your family. Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices acceptable to God. The word mercy is a gut level compassion. Paul is saying, listen, God is experiencing something that you and I would feel at a core gut level. There is a compassion for us. The word compassion, by the way, means to suffer with. God's mercy towards us. This gut level compassion is to step into our pain. It's, it's amazing. We present our bodies. That's our bodies. It says, which is your spiritual service of worship? The word spiritual has to do with our minds, actually. It's reasonable to do this. Don't be conformed to the world. That's social, cultural factors. And be renewed by the transforming of your mind. The mind is a part of the soul. It says, so that you may prove. That has to deal with just letting what God is doing in us overflow into how we, what we share with those around us. Listen, here's the assumption Paul's making. We are whole people. We're whole people. Bio, psycho, socio, spiritual people. I don't want us to underplay spirituality. We need to keep what just happened at the forefront of our pursuit, and pursuit is in your mission statement as a church. What just happened was missional for you as a church. All I'm suggesting is that we emphasize the reality of who we are as whole people. We have a brain. We have a body. We have a soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. We are inherently relational people. We don't know who we are apart from the relationships that we're in. Think about it. If all I do is see myself in the reflection of a broken and cloudy mirror, and I walk away thinking I'm blurry with four heads, I may believe that about myself, but we've got to spend time in God's presence to see ourselves in His mirror, the clearest mirror, because He, as our Creator, reflects back to us who we are, how He has designed us, and then we, in turn, reflect that to a world around us. We are inherently social people, and we're inherently spiritual. We have a spirit. We wake up in Christ Jesus, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me take this a step further. Our salvation is holistic. For those who have been justified, the word justification is a, is, a, is a theological term that means being made right in relationship with God. So when we say, hey, do you want to get saved? Are you saved? Typically what we mean is are you justified? That's the word theologically. The Bible says for those who have been justified, they've also been glorified. That's when we get new bodies. Listen, bodies are important to God. They're so important that we don't just exist spiritually when we see him. He gives us another body. John Piper says the reason we get new bodies is because if we had to experience all of the things that God has for us in these existing bodies, we would be eternally frustrated. I would say obliterated if we had to stand in his presence. But he gives us new bodies. He even used a physical body to overcome a spiritual problem. 
He cares about the body. And then you've got this process that most of us don't like, but we've got to go through called sanctification, where all of the parts of who we are are being saved. We have been saved. We are being saved and transformed into his image, transformed by the renewing of our minds into the point where we finally see him face to face and he gives us new bodies. We're whole people. So caring for the whole person is not selfishness. Taking care of your spirit, your soul, your relationship, and your body is not selfishness. It's actually stewardship, and it's an act of worship. Listen, if we aren't caring for ourselves, what we just saw up here is not sustainable. You'll burn out. We have to steward the whole of our salvation to continue to see what just happened. It's unbelievably important. Shifting perspective towards life and authority requires that we pay attention to all of the parts that make up all of who we are. When we ignore that fact, our integrity, our wholeness as children of God becomes compromised and we don't operate in the way we were designed. For example, I could try to pray away depression as a spirit of heaviness. But, but, but what if the source of that depression is not a spirit of heaviness, it's a physical issue like untreated hypothyroidism. Instead of praying for spiritual, we need to be praying for physical healing. What if, what if I'm struggling relationally and I'm bitter that I don't have friends in my life, but I'm not willing to take responsibility for how I push everybody away because I'm wounded and I don't want to be rejected, so I reject others preemptively. That's relational and psychological, physical and psychological, spiritual and psychological. All of these things are in there just going together. So, listen, sin plays a major role in this too. And, and all sin is is just missing God's mark, the way he designed and created us to be. And sometimes there are circumstances that are outside of our control. I get it. Listen, there's no judgment. If you're in the situation you're in because things happen to you, there is grace there. There's love there. There is no judgment there. But we do need to make statements about what's healthy and not healthy, and we've got to take ownership as acts of worship and stewardship for who God has created us to be. Now, we don't have time to go through all of these different areas of health and wholeness, I want to focus on one that I believe underlies every area that I'm about to show you, and it's authority. But I do want to show this to you because these are areas of wholeness. So we have our parts, but we also have um, this visual of what it really means to be whole. And if we could throw that on the screen. These are all of the different rhythms of well-being. And every rhythm as we engage it becomes an act of stewardship and an act of worship to sustain the call of God on our lives. Spiritual health, spiritual formation, leaning in there, soul health, so prayer. All, we, we start with the presence of God, pursuing Him. As we move into soul care, perma is, every time I hear the word perma, I think about my grandmother. She and my grandfather were married uh, 75 years, lived into her 90s, and she would rock a perm. So I, I, every time I say this, I think of my mom, and I, I love her, the legacy that she left in our lives of prayer, actually. Um, quick side story, there was a, a, a bar with a strip club that got set up right down her 
uh, right down the street um, in her rural Mississippi home. And so my mom started praying uh, that place burned down. <laughs> but she qualified it. Lord, I don't want you to hurt anybody. <laughs> When's the strip club closed? That place burned down. No one was in it. And they rebuilt it. It burned down again. <laughs> Legacy of prayer. She's like, that ain't happening in my neighborhood. Like, Mama just dropping prayer bombs. <laughs> I was like, Mama, I know you rode by and chunked that hand grenade in there. She was like, baby, I would never do that. I just couldn't. I was like, ah, I'm, Mama, I'm kidding. She, she sometimes didn't get jokes. Um, but, man, I don't know where I was. Parma, prayer is so powerful. But when you think about fostering soul care, positive emotions are very important. Why? There's a reason why positive emotions are all throughout the scriptures. Negative emotions like fear suck you into a vortex where the only thing you see is through the lens of that fear and the only thing you're focused on is survival. It shuts down revival. Positive emotions start to blow that funnel up. And you start to look around and go, man, gratitude, hope, love, peace, like, wow, I've got resources. God's get and then you build by faith on the resources that God allows you to see. God brings those. They are a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but the reason self-control is the last is we have to steward those things so we don't sabotage them. Very important that we're leaning in and fostering these things. And then you get into physical health, relational and sexual health, and then on into environmental Listen, I've given you a free handout. They're in the back. You can grab these, take them with you. I'm hoping they spark curiosity and you can get into these things and put your hands in the soil of worshiping through holistic self-care. But I want to talk about one thing, and it's authority. I believe authority runs through the veins of every one of these areas. Authorities borrow power. We're given it we're given it as a resource to accomplish the will of God in our lives and in the earth. And it's not just borrow power. Authority is rooted in identity. We have to know whose we are and who we are to understand the power that we have. So as we lean into this, we realize Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit and we've got to leverage the authority that we get, the power that we get to foster that holistic self-care. So when we talk about leveraging authority, what are we actually getting authority over? Our experiences. We're learning how to get authority over the things we experience. In order to foster, foster holistic health, we've got to get authority over our experiences because we live in a culture where emotion is king. If I feel it, it must be true. That's called emotional reasoning. It's a fallacy in psychology. We talk to people about just because you feel something doesn't mean it's true. It's important you pay attention to the emotion. We don't chunk it. Emotions are great consultants. They're just terrible CEOs. We've got to lean into the experience, but what we want to do is get authority over it. So let me show you what an experience looks like. On this next slide, this is the anatomy of every single experience you and I have. Every experience. Every experience we have has thoughts. Not what you should think, what you really think. 
behaviors, not what you should do, but what you actually do or what you want to do. Emotions. Now, emotions are stamped experiences with meaning, so we have to be careful, but there's a lot of meaning in our emotions. For example, anger. Anger is a sign that a boundary line has been crossed, a value has been violated, or an expectation hasn't been met. And if we can pay attention to those things, we can learn. Body. Our body is intimately connected to our experiences, all within the context of the environment, which is the settings that we're in, the circumstances, which are what's happening in those settings, and then the setting events. And setting events are everything that's happening in the background of our lives that increase or decrease the likelihood that we'll have an experience. Your faith was a setting event that got you here to experience what we experienced earlier. It set you up. Sometimes we have things that set us up in healthy ways, and sometimes things set us up in unhealthy ways. And as we get authority, a few things happen. So, hey, so get a picture of this, thoughts, behavior, emotions, body, environment, circumstances, and setting events. On that next slide, this is what authority looks like. Take it in for a minute. When you start to get authority over your experiences, you have to start to foster awareness of them. I'm aware of my thought life. I'm aware of my emotional life. And sometimes this is easier for others. Sometimes this is really difficult for us, but that's not an excuse. There's still a stewardship that has to happen. I've got to lean in and get curious about my experiences. I've got to foster an awareness of what's really going on in me. I've got to acknowledge, but that doesn't mean I'm agreeing. I've got to confess what the struggle is, but I'm also going to confess the hope that I have. I'm going to confess the positive things that are happening. I, I will fill in the blank. And as I do that, I'm able to regulate myself. Regulation is so unbelievably important because when we regulate ourselves, we start to step out of the chaos of the experience. And one of the most powerful ways to regulate yourself is to start with the body, calm your body down, which brings your mind back online. And as your mind gets back online, you're able to re-engage the truths of who God says we are and ultimately engage reality in a healthier way. But one of the most powerful things that we use to regulate ourselves is breathing. Has anyone ever done any kind of deep breathing before? Yeah? If you've done it before, it's unbelievably helpful. And before you get, you be like, this dude's weird, he's pushing. Let me remind you that theologians suggest that Yahweh is not a name spoken, it's a name breathed. Yah is, way is, so when God delivered his name to Moses on the mountain, he said, my name is, Every time we take a breath in, and every time we breathe out, we declare the glory of God's name. Even the people who say he doesn't exist and want nothing to do with him declare the glory of his name in every breath they take, in every breath they breathe out. His presence brings peace. And as we breathe him in and breathe him out, we're able to regulate ourselves so we can step into a level of understanding, not chaos, but clarity. What is really going on in my life? How do I give this a language so that I know how to respond? My response is not a reaction to protect myself. 
My response is rooted in my identity in Christ Jesus, who I am and who I want to be. It's rooted in my God-given mission, my values, his vision for my life, not the chaos of self-protection. When the scripture is saying the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And what's it guarding our hearts and minds from? From the chaos of anxiety. Anxiety creates chaos in our heart, which are emotions, our mind, it's our thoughts. And as we breathe him in and breathe him out, his peace comes in. We foster an understanding and we respond according to his word, not according to our fear and the chaos. That is authority. And here's what's, God cares more about your authority over an unwanted experience than the absence of it in your life. If you want to get a problem to go away and that's what you're trying to make happen, that problem is actually organizing your life because what we seek first organizes the rest of our lives. Jesus taught this when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and being right in relationship with him and then everything else will be added to you. We're so organized by our pain. And listen, I'm in the trenches with people. The Holy Spirit told me at one point, any opportunity I get from a platform will come from my time in the trenches with people. And there is blood all in the trenches of life. But it's not just ours, it's Jesus's. And Jesus's blood runs through those trenches that we get to get in and step into people's pain and reshift their focus. The blood of Jesus. That's authority. What's more important than something going away is us learning how to get authority over it because he is present in it with us. You realize who you are and you realize the power that you have. That's more important than the absence of the pain. That's authority. Ooh. I'm almost done. Hang, hang with me. Oh, man. I may not be able to make it. Jesus models this in the garden. Earlier really impacted me. If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, we have the cross and we have the resurrection. But we also have the garden. This is how he models authority. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He says, listen, guys, I need you to just sit with me and pray. Just pray. Just pray. His first response is just sit and pray. He took Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, let's not fly over this. He is struggling. And he confesses it. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus knows what it's like to feel like you're so overwhelmed you're at the point of death. Now, let me... Let me say this. He confesses it because he's fostering an awareness of it. 
He's acknowledging it, but he's not agreeing with it. He says, stay here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. Now, let me, let me, I'm going to give you an image of this. When I do trauma work with people, trauma is stored in the body. And so it comes out in a number of ways. And sometimes people need to get on the ground. And in order to regulate the body, he is shaking with his face on the ground, regulating the sorrow and the fear that is starting to come. This is Jesus regulating himself. He is aware, and now he starts to regulate and he regulates the body, and he regulates the spirit. And he says something. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. You remember when I talked about parts? Jesus had a part that tried to talk the father and himself out of going to the cross. That part was not sin. That part was not demonic. It was a real part of the humanness, the connection that Jesus has with us as humans. He was so afraid of what was coming. He knew what was coming. And he has the part that says, if there is any way, Father, please take this from me. But he led that part well. He didn't give in. He acknowledged it. Even to the point in Luke 22, it says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is stress. Jesus was so stressed. I want you to get this. He is being aware of it. He is acknowledging it. He is regulating it. But his body is so stressed that it is literally exploding. He is dealing with a, a medical condition called hematidrosis, where the blood vessels in your arms break and you start bleeding through your skin. This is the stress he was under. You want to know how much he loves you? He's got the cross. I want you to see what he's doing in the garden to foster authority over his fear, to foster authority over any part of the enemy. He goes back to his disciples, and they're still sleeping. He's like, guys, can you just his pray with me? He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think he was talking to the disciples. I also think he was confessing that to himself. God, my flesh is weak. I need my spirit to be strong. My spirit is willing. So he goes away and he keeps praying. And he says again, if it's possible, take it from me. If it's possible, take it from me. And he says, nevertheless, let your will be done. Jesus has moved from awareness to regulation into understanding that this isn't going to be taken from me because I'm here for a reason. I am on mission for the glory of God, for the joy set before me, and for our joy. Our salvation. Nothing is going to stand in the way of me accomplishing the will of my Father. And when he comes back, he sees him sleeping, eyes heavy. He looks up, the betrayer is coming. And this is Jesus' response. He's been aware, he's regulated, he understands the mission. He says, rise, let's go. He responds. Jesus was aware of the pain, the sorrow. He confessed it. He acknowledged the reality that he had a part that did not want to go to the cross. He regulated that part, posturing himself, 
praying through the pain of that. He understood the dilemma and the tension, and then he responded in a way that lined up with his identity and his calling. This, brothers and sisters, is authority. This is what sustains revival. That man is the one who gives us the benefit of it, who makes it possible for us. And the good news is that we have that in Christ Jesus, the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you and me. This is his invitation. That we're not afraid to pay attention to the parts we don't like. To bring into alignment and worship him with wellness. With well-being. Fostering the wholeness in our lives. And stepping into the authority that he has provided for you and for me. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? And I'll ask Pastor Chad everything from revival to freedom to healing to living this thing out in moments and in the process starts with Jesus and here's my invitation to you if you've never really started with him there's no better time than right now